Father, we thank you again for another year. We thank you for the gift that you've given us in the local church and the body that we have here at Sylvania. We thank you that the word is prized here and we are grateful to you for the, your Holy Spirit moving in us to open our hearts and minds to what your word would say to us this morning. We pray that um, as we read through the various trials that Paul is going through and his defense of the faith before the rulers of Rome, uh, that we be encouraged and emboldened and have our trust in you um, strengthened because we know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And Paul uh, clearly relies upon the Holy Spirit as he makes his defense in our chapter today. I pray for those who are in this class that you would bless them, that you would uh, continue to draw them closer to Jesus, that they would love him more than anything else and turn away from any distractions from following him and loving him and spending time with him. And that would flow out in a display of grace and um, service to each other as we begin this year may be characterized by a, a, a sense of community that is deep and rich and demonstrably Christian. We thank you for all these things. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we are in Acts 24. <clears throat> Best laid plans. I had high hopes of doing the whole chapter today. We will see at uh, 9.35. We can get that done. All right. When we left Paul uh, last time, he was awaiting trial in Caesarea before Felix the governor. And chapters uh, 24 through 26 are really a, um, a, a, a series of these legal proceedings before the authorities of Rome. We start with the governor uh, today, and next time, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, we'll, we'll see some other guys. But um, these next three chapters are the legal chapters, and I love them. Um, it, it becomes clear that even though there's, there's heated debate, there's heated uh, discussion in the trials of uh, each one, it becomes increasingly clear that the Roman officials don't have anything to do with this. They're very indecisive. Uh, they're, they're very clear that uh, Paul hasn't violated any Roman law, but what they're uncertain of is how the Jews are going to respond if they set him free. And that just, again, they're, they're trying to keep the peace. That's the, that's the motive behind here. So here's the stage. You've got angry Jews, indecisive Romans, and faithful Paul. <laughs> so uh, let's look at... Um, at the trial in chapter 24, uh, remember that Felix put off the hearing until the Jewish accusers came in from Jerusalem. And so five days later, they show up, and the high priest is accompanied by some guys who are, who are elders, probably Sanhedrin, and, uh, and someone else. So let's read about this. Verse 1, after, And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. 
And when they had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no, for, no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him you, uh, yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. We'll stop there for now. So you've got this additional figure, this additional person who is introduced, and Luke calls him a spokesman. The Greek there is the word retor, and it means lawyer. They lawyered up for this one. This guy, we don't know if he's a Jew or a Gentile. The name looks sort of Greek, but uh, he refers to himself with the others as we all appreciate you, Felix. Uh, but later it says you know, that, that the Jews made a separate case uh, apart from him. So there's some dispute on whether or not he was a Jew or, or, or a hired Gentile lawyer. Um, the, the procedures here that we're going to see in, in the rest of the, of the trial are, are very much consistent with what we have gathered from other historians about the, legal Roman, uh, the Roman legal proceedings. And um, even to the point of the bloviating flattery that you see at the very beginning, I mean, come on. Um, all right. Probably what we're giving, given here is a snippet or a condensed version of uh, what this uh, hired gun uh, gives to, the, uh, to Felix the governor, probably just a snippet. Uh, in fact, a lot of commentators say he talks about brevity, <laughs> probably uh, not so much. I mean, he, he, he took forever just with the flattery part of it, right? So what we see is, a, is, is probably just an outline of his argument, some snippets of his argument. Uh, what strikes you about his charges? What strikes you about verses 1 through 9? What strikes you about that? Vague. Very vague. Very large. Ringleader, and that's kind of funny. Yeah, that seems a little bit, uh, I don't know, loaded. Yeah, like, like a gang. <laughs> like a gang, yeah. How about the flattery? What are the, what are the points of flattery that he makes? I love this. Felix promotes peace, and this guy's destroying the peace. Yeah, yeah. we've talked about this already, about what a horrible governor Felix was. I mean, this guy... There was more violence in, under his administration in Judea than any other procurator or any other leader over Judea when the Romans were ruling up until the time of the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. I mean, that was obviously more violent than, than this, but, but he, he, he won the prize. He had the trophy, most violent uh, administration. Why would we say that? When insurrections happened, how would he respond? Come in with brute force. He'd be, stop it. He'd be very brutal. 
which always engenders your population to you, right? You come in with brutality. We're seeing a little bit of that going on right now uh, around the world. Brutality doesn't uh, warm the hearts of your people to your leadership. He had a, a huge uh, misunderstanding of how Judaism worked. He, uh, well, I say huge misunderstanding. He didn't understand the, the Jewish people. He didn't care about the Jewish people. And that was very evident in some of the stuff that he did. So this guy's talking about praising uh, Felix for the peace he had brought to the region. And yet that's really uh, a fraud. Romans were very concerned about keeping the peace. They prided themselves on keeping the peace. And they have a term that's come down to us from antiquity called Pax Romana, right? That's something that they just trumpeted. They loved that, that we, the Romans, have brought peace through our you know, strength. And so he plays to that. And he, he also praises Felix for something else. Do you see? Reforming the nation. Reforming the nation. This guy's amazing. Reforming the nation. Well, that's kind of stupid. He'd made life miserable for the Jews. Reforming it into a dictatorship. Right. He made life miserable for them. He had a total lack of sympathy uh, for the Jews. But again, the Romans liked to be called benefactors. They loved hearing their subjects <laughs> praise them for the peace and the prosperity and the reforms that had gone on. It had never been this great except under Rome. Well, they wanted to hear that. So much so that they put that providencia was the, is the word here. They put that on their coins. Roman foresight. Roman reforms. Um, and then he states, and I find this incredible, that in every way and everywhere the Jews accept, literally that word is welcomed, his rule with thankfulness, with gratitude. That's just not true. But he's, what do you think, what, what do you, why would be the motive, what would be the motive in this? Well, why would he flatter this guy? He wants something from him. He wants something from him. Yeah, why do you ever flatter? He's trying to soften him up. He's trying to get the goodwill of the judge. Um, and th this is a conventional thing. Everybody did this. Whenever you had a legal case, this is the way you started out. They still do that, right? No. We just go up, ladies and gentlemen, and please the court. That's about it. Um, little wink from the contribution. No, that's not true. Well, I'll tell you what. That goes away around here. I had to learn that coming from Houston. I had to figure out how to... Um, I was at a, a significant disadvantage of most hearing. Um, all right, so he, he, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, so so you, you have these flattery points that he does that are demonstrably false. But then he gets down to business. Then come the accusations against Paul. And, and again, Tertullius, he promises to be brief. Probably not. What are the charges that he levies against Paul? What does he say? What does he call him? I mean, right off the bat. A plague. A plague. Why? What is, what is he about? Another word here that's used sometimes is troublemaker. But plague is pretty over the top. In what way is Paul a plague? Plague Paul. He threatens to ruin their society, their way of life. But is, by doing what? By, by preaching against what they consider valuable. Okay. 
He stirs up riots throughout the whole world. He stirs up. Is that true? Does Paul stir up riots? There are riots. They tend to happen. He's not wrong. They do. They do tend to follow. He's not leading the riots. The riots. I guess. I guess there's the argument that somewhere in all of your broken relationships, you're the you're the you know the weak link. Um, He is going to towns, and sometimes people get kind of freaked out. But he's not plotting and scheming insurrection, right? All right. It's kind of ridiculous. It seems like a, a bit of name calling without back, without anything to back it up. But but what he's doing is is clever and calculated. Mm-hmm. What are the Romans prize? Peace. Peace. Well, it's what he played off of what he was pr- uh, praising Felix. For. Exactly. And that's where I think the the reform of the whole nation plays in because he said, "Well, Paul's doing this across the whole world." Right. It, it, it's mirroring. He's he's setting him up. Guards to break up a riot that Paul was. I don't think Felix had anything to do with that. That was Lysias in, in the yeah in, in Jerusalem. Yeah, so he he got moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea where Felix is, but he knows about what's going on. Yeah. So you have um, you have Tertullus playing this Pax Romana argument uh, with uh, with with Felix, and so. Um, We've seen this argument before with the Asian Jews, right? He stirs up riots. But Tertullus kind of pushes it even more. Throughout the whole world. This guy's incredibly powerful. You, you got to hand it to the Jews. They hired a good guy for this. They did. They're getting their money's worth. <laughs> this is a charge um, of sedition. And Romans don't take this lightly. So they don't care about the squabbles of Jewish religion, but they do care about peace. And so that's where he's going. Uh, and Felix in particular would care about it because his administration has known anything but peace. And so he wants to get peace at any cost. He wants to become What did you say? Fix it, Felix. Oh, my gosh. That's okay. Somebody brought up the second point that he makes, that he's the ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Now, the Jews, even to this day in the literature, call Christians Nazarenes. Why would they do that? Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you remember that statement? What does that imply about the city? It's a backwoods, bumpkin area. These people don't know anything. A bunch of low life kind of people of the earth. What were you saying? She said Jacksonville. That's what I was thinking. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna clean that up real quick, Tammy. We got some real good friends that come out of Jacksonville. We need to edit that out. I guess I was more thinking Brownsboro, but whatever. Hey, um, now it's getting personal. All right, so so the imagery that he's bringing out is that Paul is a ringleader of this riotous sect of Judaism. That's the whole, you know, backwoods. These guys are, you know. 
in love with their guns and God kind of idea. And, and they're bumpkins and they don't know what they're doing. What's even more significant about that charge? Is this just involving Paul? It's basically all Christians. All Christians. And he's saying that all Christians are insurrectionists. Looking to disturb the peace. So what's at stake now? He's setting precedence. Exactly. He's setting the basis, the baseline. If Paul goes down here, all Christians are at risk with this kind of argument. Um, all right. And as we'll see, though, Tertullus can't substantiate that charge. And, and also Luke records that Felix is very familiar with what he calls the way, and he wasn't going to buy it. Uh, what's a third charge? Tried to profane the temple. Tried to profane the temple. What does he mean by that? What happened? Bringing Gentiles into it, right? Yeah, that was the charge, right? By whom? The Jews. Which Jews? Do you remember? Asian. The Asian Jews. Yes. Remember the guys from Ephesus, probably, were uh, in the temple screaming at the crowd, hey, Paul brought in a Gentile, because they'd seen him with a Gentile floating around town earlier. And so that's when the riot started, whenever they started making that accusation, which was, of course, false. He did not bring a Gentile into temple grounds. Um, who's noticeably absent here? The Asian Jews. Yeah, the Asian yeah. Jews are not here at this trial. If you're going to go to trial, don't go without your star witnesses. Why are they not here? It's a false claim. It's a bunch of, of assumption that they worked off of at the beginning. They won't testify to it. So they won't testify. Right. They won't go under oath before the, before the Roman uh, governor. What's the problem with this charge, though, for Paul? What happens if it sticks? He probably can't teach in the temple anymore. <coughs> Who was given authority over... Um, how Gentiles were to be uh, were to be banned or not banned from the temple. Who was who was given that jurisdiction? Well, was it the Jews or the Romans? The Jews were right. So if Felix sees this as a violation, if he buys the argument that there's a violation of Paul desecrating the temple, where does Paul go? To the Jews, to the Jews which means certain death. So it's kind of a significant charge. He's hitting very significant charges. Sedition, uh, uh, that he's, he's, it's global, apparently. Without the use of the Internet, I don't know how Paul is doing this, but it's a global sedition against the Roman authority. And even if you don't buy that, Felix, this is a matter for Jews that y'all have given uh, uh, the Jews authority over, and Paul needs to be returned to them for... Uh, for uh, judgment. All right. Tertullius' uh, conclusion uh, has a major variation in the textual tradition. You have a textual note. I think it's verse 9. Where is it? No, 8. Even worse, 6. Um, you see in the textual note, there's this long thing versus the short one that we have actually in the in the in the translated text. You see the mine doesn't have a verse seven, is it? Verse six? Mine doesn't have a verse seven. 
Okay. At the end of six, there's a textual list. Right. And that's, I think, the issue. <clears throat> some, of the, some of the manuscripts have this uh, additional statement, but the chief captain, Lysias, came and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come before you. Some, some manuscripts have that language in it. The vast majority of the manuscripts do not. And so they, they put it in as a textual note to let you know that other manuscripts contain it, but we don't know if it should be included or not. It's the thing, again, I love about textual criticism. We know where the discrepancies are. It doesn't cause anybody a nosebleed. We know where it is. Um, but and Exactly. Whether or not it's included is not a doctrinal issue. It's just a, it's a historical whether or not that was included in, with, with Luke's rendition of this. Um, all right. The manuscript evidence seems to support the, the shorter reading. I just want to bring that out. But the call, uh, if, if verse 7 is in there, then the call is to call, to, for Felix to examine Lysias. And it seems more logical to say that Tertullus is, is telling Felix to examine Paul that to see if our charges are so. And so that also plays into uh, of, of the, um, the textual issue there. All right, so verse 9, what happens? You've got uh, the boys of Chorus uh, chiming in. We agree, we agree, we agree. Yes, everything he said is true. Cha-ching. Uh, your check is in the mail, Tertullus, right? So then uh, Felix, with a very grand and powerful nod, <coughs> looks to Paul and says, begin your defense. In verse 10, we start Paul's defense. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you've been judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man, now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So Tertullus is a rhetorician, a lawyer. Paul is a master at this. He was trained in this. He knows how to do this. He doesn't hire a lawyer. He doesn't need one. Except for the axiom that we got from Abraham Lincoln that uh, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. Uh, this... This is a good thing for Paul to do. And yet, he disdained professional rhetoric. He disdained it. Uh, we see in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he tells the Corinthians, and I, or 2 Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 3 through 5. He, did, he, didn't, he wanted to rely upon the Holy Spirit to make arguments, to share the gospel, to present. And yet, he's very well trained in this stuff. He knows how to do it. Incidentally, does Paul begin with flattery? He kind of does. Sort of does. What does he say? He says, I know you've been Lord over this nation for a while, and I gladly make my defense to you. Yeah. Why would he, why would he do that? Because it seems like he would be a just... Uh, ruler then is kind of the implication. I he guess. calls to him. He's experienced with the Jews. He's been a, been a ruler over them for about five years now. You've been doing this a while. I cheerfully make my defense to you. You're going to know what's true and what's not because you have experience with the people. He don't, he, we don't see fawning here. Yeah. <laughs> he's not slobbering over, over himself with, uh, with Felix. We don't see him playing, playing fast and loose with the truth. He merely makes a reference. You've been... Ruler over us for a while. You should know this stuff. And that should qualify him to make a decision. What arguments does Paul make for his defense? What does he start out with? Verifiable things. Verifi yes, things that are actually true. How about that? <laughs> Starting with what? Insurrection? He goes to that point, right? What does he say about the charge of insurrection, being a rioter, being a, a troublemaker? 12 days and nothing's happened. I've only been in Jerusalem 12 days. It's really hard to organize a rebellion against Rome in 12 days. <laughs> right? And in fact, when they found it, what was he doing? In the temple alone. In the temple alone. Uh, what was his demeanor at the time? What was purified. his? He was purified. He's going to be anti-Jew. Why would you go in ceremonially clean to the hilt? So there's no history of him inciting rebellions. He's just in Jerusalem 12 days. He was there solely to worship, he says. And, and pilgrims generally aren't rabble-rousers. You're kind of out of your element. Uh, do you see what's happening, though? Tertullius is taking, uh, Paul is taking Tertullius's argument. Just examine Paul and you'll see everything we say is true. Give him enough rope, he'll hang himself. So Tertullius is like, Paul is flipping it on his head. Examine me. Again, it's the jujitsu that we see with all of the apostles. Focusing on the, 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 the idea of the resurrection from the dead, that's right. kind of, and that this is a um, religious argument. That's exactly right. Right. I mean, he then goes to that he had not stirred up any crowds, not in the temple, not in the synagogues, not the city. Where was a crowd? It was at the temple where he was. Um, who stirred them up? The Jews of Asia who are not here. not here. Who should be here. And that's a big, who should be here. That's a big legal point that he makes, and that would not fly past even someone like Felix. And then, he's, then, he, then he goes to the blanket statement, they have no proof. So he puts everything at issue and they have no proof, which is always a good thing. Uh, he turns from defense to offense. He says that Christianity is, what does he call it? The way. The way, it's not a sect. They call it a sect. 
Why would he say that? That's an important point. They call it a sect. I call it the way. Relabeling it with a Lester auditory. This isn't some separate part of Judaism. This is the fulfillment of Judaism. If Paul doesn't mention it, he confirms it. Right. Right. It's not a sect. We're not some offshoot religion. This is Judaism come into its own. This is the promise that we have from the law and the prophets, a risen Christ. This is the way forward for Judaism. This is, what is, is his argument. I'm not anti-Jew. I want Jews to, to follow us into bowing the knee to the Messiah. Um, all right. It's not, a, it's not a sect. It's the way. Uh, what's the implication here for Paul saying that it's the resurrection of the just and the unjust? Responsibility on Felix to make the right decision. Sure. Romans are involved as well. That's right. Uh, now, the issue of the resurrection, the Romans are probably not going to have a whole lot of conceptual um, skin in the game, I guess. But when you start talking about the resurrection of the unjust versus the resurrection of the just, what are you implying? What's going to happen? at the resurrection of the unjust. Right? There's judgment involved. There's end judgment involved. And Romans understand that. We all understand that. We all suppress the knowledge that one day we'll stand before a holy God as sinners, right? So he's bringing out, and you'll see Paul do this throughout these speeches. This, the idea of the resurrection is developed. A little bit more defined, more precisely defined at each interval that he, that he makes his defense before these leaders. The, the, before the Sanhedrin, he argued the existence of a resurrection, the possibility of resurrection. It set the Pharisees and the Sadducees just, and they lost their minds, right? Here, he's pushing it further. There's resurrection to judgment as well as to blessing if you're just, which we'll see later causes Felix some pause. Um, Paul's, Paul's reference to, uh, to, the, to the, re the resurrection is a linchpin of all his witness in these three chapters. That's not an accident. He's convinced, and the Romans agree with him on this, that this is the main contention between him and the Jews. The Jews believe the scriptures. The Jews worshipped the same God, sort of. They, uh, they, um, they also uh, had a hope. And he hits all those things. And yet, it's the resurrection. They even believed in the resurrection. Most, of, most Jews did. Sadducees were sad, you see. But the, most of the Jews believed in the resurrection. And so he agreed with them on that. The linchpin of his argument, though, is the disagreement. Whose resurrection? Christ's resurrection. And that the resurrection has already begun in Jesus. That's the argument he's, he's making. And that's a religious argument. It's not Roman law. It's not even Jewish law. It's a, it's, it's a debate on the interpretation of the scriptures. Um, all right. So he says this, uh, uh, he defines the resurrection as being uh, of the just and the unjust. Couple that with Paul's statement that he, his own conscience was blameless. What does that tell you? <laughs> Everybody else, <laughs> is your conscience blameless? 
And he's talking about, of course, the judgment uh, when, when, uh, when God uh, raises both the just and the unjust. But it, it, the dividing line between Christians and Jews today is the resurrection of Christ. And that's basically where we start with any dialogue between the two parties. Um, all right, third thing. Paul's response to Tertullius' third argument uh, was the, on the desecration of the temple. He summarizes what happened. Uh, and then points to the glaring absence of the Asian Jews. And so much it's, this apparently torques Paul because he breaks off mid sentence. <laughs> Where you know you see this kind of emotional deal here, but it's a significant legal point. And um, and he, far from having desecrated the temple, he was in a very scrupulous state of ceremonial clean, cleanliness. Uh, he hadn't come to desecrate the temple; he'd come to sacrifice at the temple. Um, there was only one charge that should be levied, that he believed in the resurrection. That's the only, and he cops to it. He, he completely confesses to it. He broke no law, certainly no Roman law or even Jewish law. Um, and this is a matter of Jewish religious conviction, not Roman law. All right. So the wheels of justice then come off in verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying... When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla. Just going to let that sit. <laughs> who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped uh, that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Justice delayed is justice denied. What do we have here? What does what Luke tell us about Felix's decisive action here? <laughs> yeah. There was none. There was none. Uh, there's not any indication. He, he says, wait till Lys I hear from Lysias. There's no any indication that he even sends for Lysias. He had Lysias' report. And Lysias says, in my opinion, this is not a violation of Roman law, nothing worthy of death or imprisonment. This is a religious conviction issue. This is not something for us to deal with. He's already got his report. Um, Luke tells us that Felix was familiar with the way. A lot of scholars think that Drusilla, was, uh, a, his, his wife, was uh, about 16 or so when he... I know, I know. <laughs> It's a government issue. Um, so, uh, but, but she was in Judea at the time, may have heard about Christianity then, and uh, probably was his resource for being familiar with the way. Um, all right. Uh, he ruled over the Jews, and he had to live with them. Even though he's, he doesn't seem to see any wrongdoing in Paul, it gives him a lot of freedom in prison, come, friends come and go, support him, all this kind of stuff. He doesn't... Uh, he doesn't let him go because it's going to upset the Jews. And it's, sometimes it's easier just to put it off rather than to make a decision and get something done. 
So he makes it as bearable as possible by giving him all kinds of freedom uh, in prison to receive guests, and probably because he also knew he was a Roman citizen. All right, what are we, what are we to make of these little fireside chats that they have? Uh, is he a seeker? Is Paul sensitive to his seekerness stuff? He's seeking something. He's seeking something. <laughs> it's true. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. And what is he? What is he hitting on? What does Luke say he's hitting on? To this judgment, self-control, righteousness. Judgment, self-control, righteousness. Well, isn't he? Shouldn't he be preaching grace? Just love people. Just love him. Wouldn't Felix, as a ruler, want to be known for those things? He would, but he certainly wouldn't want them applied to him. Right. So wouldn't it make him look good? If... Maybe. 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 Maybe good... How is his response? What is his response to? There's a reason he becomes alarmed. At <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. The light of truth shines on the dark heart. He's alarmed. Well enough to know how to preach to his audience. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. So he knew that those were things that Felix, areas that he struggled in. And so I think everybody knew that those were areas that Felix <laughs> struggled in. But, but I mean, you know, right. if, if you know somebody, you know how to sure. talk to them more. There's an old Puritan principle, law of the proud, grace of the humble. Uh, you have in Felix a very proud man who's obstinate in his dealing with the Jews and obstinate in his own preserving his own power. And Paul is preaching to him the law. Remember that unjust resurrection we talked about? That's coming. And it alarms him. But he calls for him frequently, looking for a bribe, it says. Two years. Two years. Nothing. Just these little fireside chats. Lysias, I guess, took the long road getting there to do a report or something. Uh, he's removed, and we talked about this before. He gets removed because he mishandles a dispute between the Gentiles and the Jews in which his anti-Jewish sentiment really comes out. And so they petition Rome to remove him, and, they, and Rome does. Felix, uh, Luke presents him as kind of a tragic case. We have a guy coming up to the cusp of conviction. He's alarmed. There's some fear of the coming judgment. And yet, he does what he most loves to do. He clings to his greed. He clings to his lust. He clings to his preservation of power. Because that's his will. That's where he is. And again, for me, this highlights. I can't flip the switch in somebody's head. No matter how alarmed they may be, it doesn't mean that they're going to embrace the gospel, repent, and believe. I can't, we're just called to be faithful, and Paul is faithful here for two years. Knowing he wanted a bribe, it'd just been easy to take another collection from the Corinthians and get, you know, get out. But he doesn't do that. For Paul, I want to hazard a guess, he views this as an opportunity to continue dialogue, that, and perhaps that maybe the Holy Spirit would open his eyes to the danger that he's in. But we don't see that happen. Uh, at least Luke doesn't record it uh, during this two-year period. So, All right. It's a little, uh, a little after 10, slightly. Um, any questions? Comments? Fruit to be thrown? Two years is a long time to wait. Yeah, it doesn't stop there. 
I don't know if this is encouraging to us or not, but like after two weeks, I would be beside myself. <laughs> God, why me? What? Yeah. Well, and if you knew that the easy way out was just to pay somebody. There's yeah. no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. Oh, my gosh. It, it had the indication there might have been a way. Yeah. Yeah, there was. I mean, he could have paid him. To get out. He could have paid him. Because if I got in prison for something I didn't do, I would get bail money. You know, honestly, who yeah. would not? Yeah. If you have access to it and you're like, I didn't even do it in the first place. This is unjust to begin with. Bail me out. It's, it seems like that would be the most um, expedient way to go to another state or at least. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, he doesn't do it. He stays there. He refuses to use the Lord's resources to, to bribe an official to get out of prison. Doesn't he want to go to Rome, though? There is that. There is that. So, and he, and he has it, the promise of Christ. Do what? And he has the promise of Christ that that's where he's going. Right, right. Not that he was, you know, the martyr complex. No, but he's relying upon what's been told to him. This is of the Lord. This two years is of the Lord. Right. So we'll just, we'll see what happens. And I have an audience with Felix ever so often, every time he gets a little, you know, needy for some money. Paul is always happy to try and share the gospel with those in power, too, though. Yeah, he is. He is. He doesn't shy away from those, even uh, as we'll see next time, the appeal to Caesar. Also, a pretty good argument for Sola Gracia. Mm. Because if Paul can't one-on-one save somebody right. over two years of mentoring, right. what am I going to do? do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let's just forget ever witnessing then, because we don't really control it anyway. No, but it's not, it's not the number. Right. It's not up to us. We're called to be faithful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if the Apostle Paul can't convert you, then we may need to rethink our doctrine. Yeah, if it had been three years. <laughs> if only he hadn't messed up on that Gentile Jewish thing. It's also that sense of secret that Paul yeah. was meeting with him regularly right. for two years. And in a house like that, there are lots of people around listening. Yeah. Guards by the doors and... Yeah. I mean, there are and we don't know what converts happened in Felix's uh, house either. So yeah, it's true. We don't happen. They didn't say anything about Drusilla. Drusilla. It's hard to say that name. I wonder where she stood on it because if he's if he really was warring with it, that's who he talked to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And she could have she could have been just tugging it away. Mm-hmm. No, that's not. Yeah, maybe. So if he despised the Jews so much. Why did he have a Jewish wife? Political. Yeah. She was pretty. Yeah. And, and yes, she was very pretty. Yeah. That's the other historical <laughs> note. He hates foreigners, but. Look like Wonder Woman. Okay. I don't know if we're going to verify that. All right. This, this conversation is derailed. Um, let me pray. For all of you, and we'll, and we'll go. God, we do thank you for the example that we have of great men of the faith. We thank you for the example of Paul and his faithfulness to the gospel in such a, what had to be an incredibly frustrating and mundane life for those two years, being in prison and called out to talk with some pompous ruler about the gospel when he knew that his goal was to get a bribe. I don't think any of us have the patience for that. We know that none of it 
uh, is natural to us. And so we would, as I assume Paul did, have to rely upon the grace of your spirit to strengthen us and to put us in the frame of mind to go through something like that. God, each of us are facing frustrations and, and um, dealing with the, the mundane and the drudgery of day-to-day -day existence sometimes. Would you, in your grace, open our eyes to thankfulness that you are God, you are creator, you are the king of heaven and earth, and that what we go through is by your hand and that nothing uh, comes to us but by your command and by your um, direction and decree. And that we are to be thankful for that because you are working for our good and your glory in all things, even two-year stints in a Caesarean prison. Would you help us as we uh, go to the next service to glory in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Pray for Philip that the words he speaks would be impactful to us and our hearts would be open and our minds ready to grasp the beauty of the gospel that we hear preached this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.